So that's a free dinner and a good opportunity to learn and to grow. So uh, Mark is out today. He's in London, but we were still taught by a Lanier because Becky spoke today. And so today you've, you've got the full impact. Uh, I'm just going to step back for a second and fill us in on Colossians chapter 3, because when Mark comes back, he has to hit Colossians chapter 4, and then the final is on March the 4th, and we finish out Colossians. So we're going to stay on track. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to open up to Colossians chapter 3. We'll go ahead and start right with the text. And I just want to give an overview so that, again, we get caught up. But Colossians chapter 3 and 4 are very practical chapters. What Mark has been talking about is more of the theoretical, theological setup for what we're about to hit today is very practical ways that we can put into practice. And that's one of my main jobs as the coordinator and the pastor of this class, that we find ways to encourage you, empower you to minister, to serve, to take the next step of, oh, the- theologically, that's good. I see what I'm supposed to do. Oh, that's a great thing to learn. Oh, I see how that Greek word relates to the rest of the text. Oh, that's awesome. Now, what's the next step? So we have to look back in verse 20 of Colossians 2 real quick as we start off and read that this is what Mark talked about last week. If with Christ you died, so that's if indeed with Christ you died, to the elemental spirits of the world, the basic things, why as if you were still alive to the world, do you, why then do you submit to the regulations like do not handle and taste and touch according to these human precepts? Why do you follow these human laws and teachings? These have indeed the appearance of wisdom. Again, they have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So a lot of you are familiar with asceticism where you would beat and deprive your body in order to encourage you to do the right thing and to avoid the wrong thing. The word for monk comes from this Greek word, and as the monks would do, they would deprive themselves of certain things, uh, sometimes maybe speech and other things, in order to be more spiritual. So it might work for some, work for others. But in the end, God says that these kinds of self-deprivation are not beneficial. That's a human way of doing a God job, and it's not encouraged. So if that's the case, he says, if you died, and now let's move to Colossians 3.1 as we move transition from chapter 2 to chapter 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. So if, number one, you've died, that's important. You have to, that's the first step. And then he goes on to say, and then if you were indeed raised with Christ, this is what you should do. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So I wanted to cross-reference here in Luke 9 what Jesus said about this. And Jesus said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him three things. One, deny himself. This is different from that asceticism where you deprave and deny your body and perhaps beat and other things that people would do to kind of have the red badge of courage of trying to move their spiritual life along. But there's still an element that you must deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross daily and follow me. So to deny yourself is to remember that you have what? You have died, that you're no longer in control. You have died. So that's the first death. But then there's a second death that he says here that each day then you have to take up your cross 
which I call death number two. See that little X? That's a multiply. So this is a multiply teaching today that you would take up your cross. Now, anyone who takes up their cross in Jesus' day, in the context of what we're talking about here in the church in Colossae, they understood that as death, that you would be going to your death march and onto your death if you are indeed bearing your cross. But Jesus is speaking figuratively because literally he had already paid that price. But figuratively now, you have to die every day. You have to remind yourself as you wake up in the morning, as all of us do, as we've forgotten since we've slept since then, when you wake up in the morning, you have to remember, I'm not in control. I have to die. I've already been dead. I have died. I have to remember that I'm dead. That's a good way to remember, a good thing, a good program to start for yourself every morning that you wake up. You take up your cross, your death, and the last thing is that you follow me. So you wake up in the morning and you say, okay, I'm going to deny myself because I'm no longer in control. I have died. And now my desire, Paul says, is that I want to follow God. And if you set yourself up for that at the earliest possible moment in the morning, the odds are you're better likely to be serving Christ as the day goes by, right? Compared to if you wake up in the morning and you're already thinking about that business meeting or that thing that you have to decorate for or the house that you have to clean and you're thinking about all these things, the the hustle and bustle of life. And if you do that, you can still serve God and and think to yourself, well, to the glory of God, I'm going to clean my house and I'm going to, you know, really share Christ through this business meeting or be sensitive to other people. But if you don't start your day off right, you're more likely to just get to business and take care of business, right? So the best thing to do is to find ways to remind yourself. Paul says all the time in the New Testament, I stir you up by a reminder. And Peter says the same thing because we know that we're quickly and easily to forget. The second way to remind yourself of how you should behave and act is accountability. If I tell you that I'm going to do something, am I more likely to do it? Sure. Well, last week I taught similar class over in the uh, encouragers class, and I told them that we had this big chocolate cake that my wife got because my, my daughter showed her pig and got it sold, and one of the prizes that we got for her was this big chocolate cake with pigs on it, you know, like candy pigs or something. So it's this huge chocolate cake, which I particularly enjoy chocolate cake. But because I'm on this diet where I'm trying to stay away from sugar, I needed a little bit of accountability to keep from eating the cake because it's in the Tupperware and all I ha- it's already sliced and cut up. All I had to do is open it up. It was very easy. So to prevent it, I said to the other class, I said, listen, last Sunday, I'm going to commit to you that I will not eat any of that chocolate cake. I will not have any chocolate cake. Knowing that the times that they see me and someone saw me Wednesday night after I taught the class last Sunday. And the first thing they asked me was what? Did you eat that cake? And while I was able to say, no, I've not eaten any cake. And the times that I was definitely tempted to eat the cake, you know what I thought about? I told that class I was not going to eat the cake. When they asked me if I ate the cake, what am I going to be able to say? The truth that I've not had any cake. I'm going to be able to speak the truth to them. And I wanted to speak the truth a little bit more than I wanted to eat that cake. So, so far it's worked. Now I still ate Oreos, but I did not commit to not eating Oreos. So that's the other thing we have to really be careful of as to what it is you're being accountable to. It's easy to be accountable to the easy stuff, but sometimes we have to take it up a notch and be accountable on the difficult things because that's where it'll make a difference in your spiritual life. True story. So moving on. 
I jump back in Colossians 2 because here Paul talks about baptism. He says, um, he's given the, the illustration of what baptism is, which is what we're talking about here. And having been buried with him in baptism, in which you have also been raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. God who raised him, Jesus from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your trespasses and God made alive together with him, having forgiven, important point there, forgiven us all of our trespasses by doing what? Canceling the record of debt that stood against us and it's all of its legal demands, which Mark would understand being a lawyer, he could talk more on that. But it was a legal issue that we had, but the debt was paid. He set it aside and nailing it to the cross. Some of you may know Louis Giglio or have heard of him. I went to his Bible study when I was in college at Baylor and he taught on this verse in Colossians. And it struck me so much that when I went home to Dallas, not to my dorm room, but when I finally made it home, this verse about the certificate of debt being nailed to the cross, paying my payment. And as a result, I am free from the penalty. I went and found some wood that my parents had, took my saw, put it together, made a notch, put it in, I even put a little hanger on the back. And I nailed a certificate of debt to the cross, which is illustrative of Jesus, of course, to remind me that my debt's been paid by a high price. By such a high price, this helped me to be accountable to doing and making right decisions. So I put it somewhere where I could see it and I still have it in my office today, reminding me that the debt has been paid. This is what he's talking about. And this is why he says that having been dead, if, you're, if you've been dead, if you've died, if that's true, and if you've been raised again by the power of God, who also raised Jesus, giving us the understanding that he's, that God's all powerful and can do all things and will be able to enable, empower us to do everything he wants us to do and to the exclusion of the things that we should definitely avoid. Moving on in verse, uh, Colossians chapter three, verse two, he says, so therefore, if that's true, you have died and you've raised again, set your minds on things that are above. Get your mind out of the, you said it, not me. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So a real quick note on this. What does it mean I'm, I'm hidden? As a Christian, should not not be hidden? Should not be the lighthouse? Should not be the salt and the light of the earth? Why are we hidden with Christ? It doesn't say you're hidden in Christ. You're hidden with Christ. That has to do with faith, that you accept Christ through faith, the assurance of things that are unseen, confidence of what will happen. But we don't have the full guarantee until when? The second coming. When Christ comes in glory, and that's when we will see the glory that we have already been glorified. Did you hear that? Christ has already glorified his followers. We are already the glory of God. But as now, Paul said it a different way in Corinthians, that we now see through a mirror rather dimly, but later we will see face to face. Now we only know in part. See how it's hidden. It's private. We don't know everything. We only know a part. But then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So a little cross-reference from Paul reminding us that we walk by faith and not by sight. If you have a problem with that, 
then probably you never died and you've not been raised again. And that's something that you can deal with and, and find out more about and have the opportunity to do. But those of you who have understood and by faith accepted that price had been paid, you, you understand that you're dead and that Christ lives in you, which means you don't do what you want to do. You only do what Christ does. So Paul goes on in verse five in Colossians three. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he gives a list. Thanks, Paul. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion. Shouldn't you have passion? It depends on what you're passionate about. Here he's talking about being passionate about getting and doing the things that you want. And if you really want something like chocolate cake, you can be very impassioned to get it, right? Maybe wait until everyone's gone to bed, go down, pull the Tupperware off, have a piece, come back to church on Wednesday night. And the guy says, did you eat any cake? Nope. (laughs) How's he going to know? Being accountable is more about between you and God than it is you and the other person, although it still helps. My point is that we as, as Christians, we can, we, we cannot live as, as dead people. We so often as a living sacrifice do what? Walk ourselves off the altar. The question is, how can we be more pointed to doing the things of Christ? I'll tell you one way, go on a mission trip. Am I right? That whole week, did you think any of these guys had any time to sin and do some selfish things? Did you, Max, y'all have any time to do anything on your own? He said, well, we did, but didn't. Yeah, they were so busy when they got through the end of the day, they were dead tired. So get a group of people. You don't have to go on an official trip. Get a group of people, say, hey, we're going to go down to South Houston. I found this little community where we can, and we're going to do this. Stay busy doing the things of God. It will keep you from doing the things of the flesh. He, he continues his list other than passion. There's evil desires. There's covetousness. And he says, all of this is idolatry. Those are idols that we, we seek to serve in order to pacify ourselves. It's interesting as I studied about idols. Idols are things that you do not, these false gods, you do not have to change your lifestyle in order to serve an idol. The idea with idol worship is that you go and appease the God to get what you want. So for example, you want good crops, you find the the grow God and you appease him somehow the best way that you think and you appease him and then you can live however you want because the appeasing has already taken place. It's, It's not incumbent upon what I do and how I live my life. If, if I want to have children, then I appease the fertility God and I do whatever's necessary to appease there, but then I can still live my life however I want. There's no conflict there. The difference when living in Christ and what Paul is trying to explain to the church here in Colossae and what I'm trying to explain to you here and help us to get a reminder or a better understanding is that as we grow, we have to stay to business. We have to stay focused on the things that, that God wants us to do. And that means we cannot just appease God in order to live our lives however we want. God demands that we live our life in consistency and congruency with him. And that's why he says it's not us that's living, it's him. So now we have to find out more about him in order to be able to do the right thing. So one step of dying is putting to death each of these things that are idols. We'll move on in six, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He reminds you that's why he died on the cross because of the wrath of God needed to be moved aside for those who are called according to his purpose. But he's coming again to take wrath on those who did not 
accept the full payment for their sin. It's been made, but if they didn't accept it, God still is coming back and it's God's wrath that will be shown. In these, you too once walked these sins, these selfishness, this idolatry, but now you, emphasis on you, must put them all away. And he gives another list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Almost all of these deal with killing other people with your words and with your mouth. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. True or false? Absolutely false. That's probably one of the worst ways to die is being not encouraged and bullied, if you will, by other people who don't agree with what you're doing or trying to get you to do something else. Notice God doesn't bully. He gives you the free choice. It's Satan that's the bully and that convinces you that maybe doing this thing wouldn't be so bad. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4, one of my favorite verses, verse 29. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouth, but only such that is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Why do I like this verse? Because when, you, when we read earlier when it says to put aside anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, all of these things using our words to hurt people, it makes it sound like I just need to stop cussing. I need to stop using God's name in vain. I need to stop saying ugly things to other people. But there's more to it. What's the flip side of it? That even though you're not saying bad things, even the good things shouldn't be said unless they are for the time building up at the time of need that it may give grace to those who hear. So the next time that I open my mouth when I get home for lunch, when I come back up for life on mission evangelism training, uh, when I'm around other people in the hallway, when I open my mouth, am I seeking to give grace or to give me and prop myself up and say, hey, look how great I am or put somebody else down. The easy thing to remember is what I'm about to say, am I about to give grace? Well, I'm having this argument with these people that just don't understand the truth and I need to make sure that they understand my truth. We need to speak the truth in love. So am I giving grace as I work through the things? It's, it's, it's necessary that sometimes we have to confront sin and life isn't always just a peaceful conversation. Sometimes you have to be confrontive. But am I giving grace and encouragement to the one who hears or am I just bullying and being difficult? Verse nine, do not lie to one another. Still talking about how we use our words. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. We've died to that and have put on the new self. We're being raised to the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is the thing that's key for us that you need to understand that it's not just our heart because these guys were talking about a lot of great things in our, in our heart. But what they said was they went and they spoke God's word. They didn't just tell them, hey, God loves you. Here's a stove. They spoke God's word so that they would not miss the truth and that they would have tools left behind to be able to continue seeking in that truth because our mind is renewed by knowledge. It's the knowledge of God. I think that's why you come to Mark Lanier's class every week because you, you are certain that you're going to get some knowledge of God and that God would take that knowledge and renew your mind. Paul talks about it again in Romans chapter 12, verse two. Do not be conformed to this world. He's saying you should die to the stuff that you want to do, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's the way God changes our lives. It's not 
our hearts. Sometimes he hooks us with our heart and pulls us in, but it is with our mind and the knowledge of our mind that God teaches you. So when you say, well, I'm doing this because I I just feel like God wants me to do it. That's okay. That's the hook. But you need to back that up with God's word because it's the knowledge that God teaches you and continues you on with. He renews your mind. He doesn't renew your heart. And Satan can take your heart and manipulate you. If you don't believe me, ask Adam and Eve. So by the renewing of your mind, that is by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So God is going to test you in order to grow your mind, just like that Tupperware of chocolate cake. I was tested several times and each time I resisted and I passed the test, I was stronger and easier to do it the next time. I got this. I cannot eat that cake. I can do this. I can give a good report when those who ask me who are interested can ask and I can follow up. So verse 12, put on then, here's the Greek word and it means to clothe yourself. It literally means to put on clothes. Paul uses this Greek verb and he says, put on then as God has, as God's chosen ones, he defines you as holy, set apart, beloved, loved by God. You're in the right place. You have everything you need. Put this on a compassionate heart. That's different from passion. It's come passion, comforting passion, a passion to comfort others. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, enduring with them. Sometimes people are hard to get along with. So bearing with one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so that you must also forgive. That's what multiply is about. Literally, Jesus multiplied when he said, how many times should you be forgiven? He was asked and he said, 70 times seven. Even Jesus multiplied, see that? It's impressive. I I was impressed that God showed me that. So verse 14, as we wrap up here, that uh, above all these things, put on love. So you're you're dying to some things. You're you're raised to live in other things. But in all of that, put on love, which uh, Mark talked about, the glue that holds us together. And then he goes and talks about peace and that the peace of Christ rules that heart. That's a heart of love to which indeed you have been called. You are called to this. That is your purpose. And to be thankful. If you are thankful for something, that means you have an understanding of what it costs and that's why you're thankful. It makes it easier to do what you're supposed to do. He says that, therefore, let the word, because we're renewed by our mind, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then you should teach and admonish or encourage other people with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, singing spiritual songs. Encourage people with these things, wisdom, songs, hymns, spiritual songs. Are you all going to go home and sing a spiritual song to your special someone? The Bible says so, that you should uh, do these songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And then he closes out and he says, and whatever you do, in case I missed anything, Paul says, whatever you do in word or in deed, the words that you speak are the actions that you take in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. If you're about to ball out somebody because you're frustrated, they didn't do exactly what you wanted to. And you think to yourself, I need to address this situation, but I need to do it with grace. And I need to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you preface your conversation then to say, in the name of Jesus, I need to tell you something. I'm very unhappy with you, but you're probably going to communicate it in a better way. Paul is giving very practical ways to live out, to die to things and to live and do things well. Do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Colossians 1.16 is a reminder that we do these things because Jesus created us for that purpose. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. We're created for him, so we should do what he has called us to do. Quickly closing your points for home, simply. Number one, set your mind on the things above. Set your mind where you're positioned. Paul says you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ. How can you live the way that we sometimes do when we're seated in the heavenlies? We need to be reminded of our position in Christ. Where does Christ see us? Where are we? Uh, not so that you can feel good about yourself, but because you can do well doing good to others. Maybe on a mission trip, maybe in South Houston, maybe in your own home in just a few hours so that you would multiply that. Do a little death every day. You've got to remember to kill the things that are on your to-do list that are not right. Now, I'm going to close with this last story that I did hospital visits on Friday. Uh, we on the staff at Champion Forest have a particular day every month that we trade off. And mine was last Friday. And I went down and I was in the medical center and I parked in the parking garage and hit each hospital. You know, they have tunnels in there. You can go underneath and go from St. Methodist to St. Luke's and then over to MD Anderson. While there, I was out on the street during one part and a guy walks up to me, he's on crutches and uh, looked kind of the homeless type. And uh, he's like, oh, hey man, hey. And I'm saying hi to everybody, you know, hey, how are you doing? I'm trying to give a little bit of grace. And then he asks me, hey, could you buy me some lunch? Immediately, without even thinking, I told him, hey man, I don't have any cash. And uh, I I told him this, we're doing this multiply thing at church and we've got this commitment. I've got a lot of things going on. And as I was saying that, I had to stop in my tracks and think, what? Am I so cold and calloused? Have I not died to this this morning? Because a great opportunity to serve someone, because I had enough money, and a credit card to be able to buy him lunch. And I was giving him the business. Why was I doing that? Immediately, without even thinking, I immediately was defensive and I could say hello for free, but I wasn't going to buy him lunch. And I looked over, there's a Chick-fil-A and I said, oh, Chick-fil-A takes credit cards. I've already in my mind decided I'm gonna buy this guy's lunch somehow, some way. He's like, well, yeah, it's <laughs> probably what he was already thinking. Let's go, man. Let's go in and have lunch. We go in. He says, uh, I said, you know, hey, let's find out what you want here. Tell him what they want. Do you want it spicy? You want... No, no, no spicy. Do you want anything extra? Can I get some cheese? Yes. We're going to make this a cheesy visit. Add cheese to his order. Uh, what else you got? What, you want some sides? Fruit or chips? Chips. Good. And get a drink? Drink. Got a drink. Psh, pop. Uh, credit card. No problem. Walked away. Still sad at my initial response. What did I not do? I was not set that morning to be able to live the life the way that I should have. I was gonna go do all these good things. I was gonna visit these people in the hospital. I was gonna be bringing them the joy of the Lord, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of scripture, and it would, I, I would be one great guy. And I failed because my first response was about me. The whole trip, my whole day, in my opinion, was a failure because I messed up. I should have been prepared going in and killed a few things before I started and then began living for the several things that I know that I need to. I think you can identify with me. We should do the same. Mark Lanier, you are caught up. Next week, you can come and pick us up in Colossians chapter four. Let's pray as we leave. Our heavenly father, we're thankful for the way that you teach us. Thank you for the tests that you give us. And I pray that you would help us to be changed as a result and not to make excuses. Help us to encourage one another to love and to good deeds and to be accountable in order to not pump ourselves up, but instead to do better with what you have given us. Help us to be good investors and not barriers of your treasure. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you.